It was during those years that I that I learned that the money that was uh, being spent as discretionary income in the nation was in the hands of development people and real estate people. Welcome to a bonus episode of Range, Stories of the New American West. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Julia Ritchie. You just heard from Nevada real estate tycoon and 21st century prospector Lance Gilman. Although he's had his hand in some of the largest land deals in northern Nevada in the last decade, most people are more familiar with him as the owner of the brothel, the Mustang Ranch. Also a county commissioner in Story County, Nevada, population 4,010, where he now owns more than 60% of the land. That's right, he owns more than half of the land in the county. He's the kind of larger-than-life character who, when you read about in articles, as a journalist, you just really want to interview, which is exactly what we did. But before we learn how Gilman got to be king of this small pocket of the West, a little background on Story County. Julia, could you cue up some appropriately plinky music for me? Sure thing. Although it doesn't look like it today, Story County, believe it or not, was once the epicenter of the mining bonanza in the mid-19th century. Ten years after the California gold rush, the discovery of a huge silver ore deposit called the Comstock Lode sparked a silver rush to the area. The county seat, Virginia City, sprung up virtually overnight as people flocked to the area in hopes of profiting from the mineral deposits or, at the very least, from the miners who worked there. At its peak, Virginia City boasted a population of 25,000 people. But as with most mining stories, this boom soon went bust. By the late 19th century, stories' fortunes began to wane as the mines were picked clean. And by 1960, most everyone had moved on. In fact, Story County makes sort of the perfect place for someone like Gilman. Not unlike the restless miners of yore, he says he was used to moving around a lot as a kid. So I was born in Southern California as the son of a a federal law enforcement officer. And uh, so my dad uh, spent the better part of his career uh, with the Immigration and Border Patrol Services. And and as such, he was on the Mexican border. So although I was born in San Diego, and I claim that as birth city, I was raised in every single city on the border. Dad was undercover in, in Mexico for years. He passed away about three years ago now at the age of 94. But So I was in Brownsville, McAllen, El Paso, San Antonio, Tucson, um, San Diego, Yuma, Arizona. By the time I was a senior in high school, we'd lived in 25 homes, and I'd attended 12 different schools. So, you know, I never really knew a late neighborhood longer than about six months at a time. Gilman says moving around kind of forced him to be adaptable and learn how to quickly make and earn the trust of new friends. But because it was the 60s, Gilman was more in the mode of like a Benjamin Braddock than Bugsy Siegel at this point. And real estate wasn't even on his horizon yet. I was a musician uh, starting in the uh, in the 60s. And uh, so we were playing six, six night a week at a lot of clubs. And, uh, and so I did a lot of music for about 10 years. And then my first and only paid job really was with Capital Record Company. And um, I joined Capital in the late 60s and uh, as the uh, regional director of, of uh, artist promotion and development is a big title. And, uh, but basically it was 11 Western states and I visited radio stations and held press parties and autograph parties and all that stuff. And that's kind of where I learned sales and promotion and 
Um, and that's where my life started. And also, that's where I learned that uh, I wanted to get into recreational equipment. So he cashed out of Capitol Records and opened a boat marina in San Diego County, selling 67-foot yachts, of course, to the affluent denizens of Southern California. That was a 10-year run, and just strictly the sales of marine equipment and servicing and all those kind of things. It was during those years that I, that I learned that the money that was um, being spent as discretionary income in the nation was in the hands of development people and real estate people. The big um, uh, yachts were being purchased by land developers, by contractors, by all of that. And so I thought, well, the California economy uh, became very hot and over, overheated. And so um, I decided to liquidate uh, the marine store. And, um, and we took the property and uh, we made a deal with a group called the Kirk Paper Company. And I converted the building and I was actually making more money off of the lease of the building than I was trying to run the boat store full time with a lot less headaches. Gilman soon got his broker's license and began selling real estate. His very first client was a man named Roger Norman, who later became his business partner. Roger Norman, after uh, meeting him, he said, I- I'd like to have a shopping center site at the intersection of every major freeway or intersection on all freeways in San Diego County. So we started a land research, and so we purchased land along I-5 and, uh, and along uh, um, I-8 and, uh, and across uh, well, where Escondido and Vista and um, all of the communities kind of along the north part. So that's where I really got into land and learned how to buy and how to sell. And Roger, in fact, built shopping centers on all of the sites we bought. And so then I became a leasing agent, and I did the leasing on all of that. And uh, that was a fast track. They also built five to 10,000 square foot homes in the La Mesa area and several other projects that scream Reagan's 80s. But by the late 80s, California was moving into a pretty good recession and property values became overheated. And those shopping centers that Norman and Gilman put on every intersection weren't getting leased. Like any good prospector, they began to look elsewhere. So I read an article that came out of Washington, D.C., and it was called 10 Boomtowns You Could Count On for the 90s. And this was about 1984, 85. And so I studied that. Well, I'd been coming to Reno with Capitol Records back. Hell, uh, uh, we took the Who snow skiing for their first time when they were here playing. So we would come up with Capitol and, and bring a lot of the artists and they would do the shows and the concerts and everything. And I fell in love with the Reno area. So in 1991, Gilman packed his family up and moved to Reno. His partner, Norman, had a 2,500-acre planned unit development in South Reno he wanted his help on. And they developed half of it with custom homes and the other half with big commercial clients. What was expected to be a 25-year ROI ended up only taking eight to nine years. By 1998, they had built out the land and leased it out. But again, maybe hearkening back to his childhood, Gilman was less eager to move. So he made a bid for a Harley-Davidson franchise in Carson City. From boats to McMansions to choppers, is there anything this guy doesn't sell? Well, that's where we get to his latest big gamble, the Tahoe-Reno Industrial Center. I had learned of this uh, Azamara Ranch, and it was uh, owned by Gulf Oil out of Texas, and they were in a absolute quick hurry to sell. And uh, Do you know why? No, not really. Um, I can tell you that they had planned to fence the whole thing. They were building a lodge. And they were going to import African animals. They were trying to change the hunting uh, regulations so they didn't have to have hunting permits. And uh, so Gulf Oil was building a private hunting operation. But they had a little bit of a 
along the river, they had an industrial sector that they were trying to do. And so there were about five entities trying to buy the ranch, but everybody just wanted to buy the stuff along the river. There's been a lot of mining in this 100, it's 166 square miles of property, 102,000 acres. And so um, everybody was offering, they wanted long-term due diligence, give us six months, nine months, give us a year to look at it. We got to make sure we're not buying environmental issues or something. Well, Roger was ready to move and I was ready to move and we knew how to develop property. So we just did a cowboy thing and we offered them all cash, 30-day, non-contingent close. Give us the deed. Here's your money. And uh, that went very, very quickly. But before he could even put a shovel in the ground, he had to pony up on an interesting side bet. We had a little county that was the poorest county probably in the nation, certainly in the state of Nevada. One of the things that happened in those days is that uh, the... um, the brothels um, generated a half a million a year for them in uh, taxes and fees and room f- uh, fees. And uh, and in that year of 1999, unbeknownst to us, and Forty uh, lost all of it. And he was in Brazil. And so they lost a half a million out of their budget. And they were already the poorest county in the state. And so they dropped uh, less than $4 million to run. So we shored up the 400000 But uh, that's the reason I ended up uh, owning a Mustang ranch is that we just had to make sure that they were financially capitalized to get through the knothole so that we could uh, get this park off the ground. So he bought the Mustang Ranch and began doing what he's always done, being the consummate salesman. But even he couldn't predict the impact of world events on his gamble. We bought this ranch in 1998. I sold the first properties in 2000. And then along came 9-11 right? And 9-11 shut the, the industry down, shot the nation down for two years. Everybody's afraid to travel and everything. So we had a couple of hard years. And then we got busy and we had some really good years and sold a lot, a lot of companies. And then, uh, and then along uh, the recession set in about 08, thereabouts. And so that took us until about 13 before we got out of the recession, 12, 2013. And so now we've had like a couple of three years of really strong business again. Actually, as you and I sit here today, there are 132 companies doing businesses. 1-800-Flowers and 1-800-Diapers, that's an Amazon company, and and Pittsburgh Paint Group have two, and Zulily. Tesla's building the biggest building of its kind in the world, and Switch is building the largest co-location of its kind in the world. So he says there are 132 companies now, but how how much more room does he have to grow? A lot. Just listen. You know, let's, let's uh, again, I'm going to draw you an example. Let's start with 5,000 acres, okay. okay? So in 5,000 acres, we can do 100 million feet under roof, and that would employ a city the size of Carson City, 50,000 people. Today in Reno Sparks, as you look at this trade area right here, there's about uh, 70 million feet under roof in the entire market. In 5,000 acres, we can do 100 million feet. Right now, as you and I sit here, we have three 5,000-acre pieces completely ready to deliver you today with all the infrastructure in place, all the entitlements in place. You can have a grading permit in seven days and a building permit in 30 days. So you're talking about 300 million feet under roof, 150,000 employees in three parcels, all right? And those are ready to deliver today. In the queue are three more. Wow, that's a little crazy. It's a mighty ambitious project, but Gilman says it's do or die for Nevada in a post-gaming world. One of the things I smile about is that you and I can go back in state history in Nevada. The wealthiest place in the world was where the Comstock load was in Story County. It was up in Virginia City. 
And then in the 20s and 30s, they found Las Vegas, and so Nevada became an adult-oriented convention gaming community. And that's kind of taken us up to present day. When I came here in 1985, Nevada was the only state in the nation that had legalized gaming. Today, there's legalized gaming in every state in the nation. The entire culture has changed, and Nevada has been forced to, to reinvent itself. And, and that's exactly what our governor is doing and GOAT is doing, is we are going through a metamorphosis to reinvent ourselves for the next century. And that's economic diversification and economic development. And we have a lot of, uh, of assets that we can put on the table that really help uh, companies choose to locate here. And so look what's happened now in Little Story County. It is going to be, Tolerant Industrial Center will be the richest place on earth per capita in, in the foreseeable future. Only a 21st century prospector would see gold in like the dusty hills of Story County. For real. Gilman admits he's taken a lot of gambles in his life that have somehow always paid off. Yeah, of course, it also helps that he's commissioner of the county and kind of controls the permits, but not even he can predict the next boomer bus cycle or whether some of these more ambitious PR schemes will pay off. And while he confidently told me that everyone likes him, he dropped a $10,000 lawsuit against the sheriff of Story County for slandering him and saying bad things about the Mustang Ranch. Oh, my God. He's the Trump of Nevada. I love it. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> he could easily sell the rights of his life story for a movie. I can see it playing like the movie Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's just Storytown. Exactly. So what's on tap for our next episode, Amy? Well, Tesla's getting ready to launch its own version of the Nissan Leaf, basically an electric car that us gas-guzzling plebes might actually want and afford. So we'll be trying to figure out what is so darn appealing about the Tesla brand. Why do people love it so much? Spoiler alert, I spent like an hour recording a guy in his Tesla trying to figure that out. Did you get to test the ludicrous mode? No, he had like an older model uh, without that. And I also suffer from some extreme motion sickness, which is why I can never be a car model. You see on those like spinning podiums at car shows. That's one reason why. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one. This episode of Range was produced by me, Amy Westervelt. And me, Julia Ritchie, with all of our original and, might I mention, new music by the talented Mr. David Whited. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, or you can find us on the Stitcher app. Our partner is High Country News, a magazine focused on Western issues. Check them out at hcn.org. And if you have an idea for a show or want to tell us what you would do with 166 square miles of land, send us a note at howdy at rangepodcast.org. For more frequent updates on our show, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon. Should we say that it's a brothel? Let's, yeah, actually, and I think I'm going to say, let's see. Okay. He owns hookers. <laughs> They're not really horses. <laughs> I think we had to, like, specify the fact that, like, if you just say he's the owner of the Mustang Ranch, you're just going to think he owns, like, a lot of horses. But, no. Phillies, <laughs> not Mustangs. Phillies, yes. A not horse ranch. All right, never mind. Okay. He has a not horse ranch. <laughs>